You know, God does stuff in your life and it, it overflows. It's like, um, like Jeremiah said, I can't shut up because it's like fire in my bones. You know, it's, it's not only the word of God, but it's the goodness of God and it's the person of God that is alive and active in us and he does so much and we are so grateful for it and at times it just becomes so overwhelming that all we can do is just it's like just stand there or sit there or lie there um, but God is good and if you've never if you've never met Jesus um, Haley was telling me yesterday that they were out doing some witnessing in the street and they were talking to these young girls and two of them had never heard of Jesus before never heard the name of Jesus and um, for us you know we've we've got to be about our father's business you know because there's a world out there that's perishing um, but God's already been at work in our heart because there's been a stirring inside and um, especially over these last few months and I know that you've felt it too where there's there's just like this love and passion for Jesus and it's just our personal connection to God. It's like there's something that's just really coming alive in us. Um, and we see in other places in the world that there's uh, revivals breaking out. And, and it's not because some great big wonderful preacher has stood up and is, you know, is giving great messages or that. But there's a hunger for God. It's a hunger for his presence. There's a hunger for worship just for him. Not, not for the bells and whistles, not for his money, not for his big house, not for his inheritance but just for him. And so instead of being great times where evangelists and teachers are getting up and, and opening up the word, at the moment it seems to be that there's people that are just hungry for the presence of Jesus. And they're just sitting there. And they're just worshipping. Peter and I are twins, except I think I'll cry more than him. <laughs> anyway. I want to, um, so I want to share a couple of things. First of all, um, who's read the book of Esther? Hopefully, we've all probably read it a few times. Now, there's a guy in the book of Esther, his name is Haman. And Haman is a bit of a crawler. He's, he's trying to get all the benefit from knowing the king. And um, he skites about how much, how much influence he has, how much wealth he has, how many children he's got. And it's all about him. It's, it's, it's all about his identity and, and, um, and what he's worth. And there came a time uh, in the history then that uh, Esther was in, uh, was, had become a wife of the king and uh, there was some upheaval in the kingdom where people, including Haman, hated the Jews and so they were trying to get rid of them and, and annihilate them. And he had a plan to do that and, uh, because the enemy always hates God's people. And it hasn't changed today. The enemy hates you. And we'll talk about that a bit more later. But Haman, uh, he concocted a plan to deal um, with the situation and so that uh, Esther's uncle Mordecai, who had a fair bit of influence with the king, he wanted to get rid of him because it was like, you know, tall poppy syndrome. Yeah, mate, you're, you're, you're crowding me. You're taking my glory. You know, this is my position. And um, so... There was something good done by Mordecai um, and the king had said to Haman, what should we do for someone who's done something really good for the king? And if we read here Esther chapter 6 verses 6 to 9, it says, so Haman came in and the king asked him, what shall, we, shall be done for the man 
whom the king delights to honour. Now Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honour more than me? And Haman answered the king, for that man whom the king delights to honour, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, and uh, his royal crest placed on its head. Then let his robe and the horse be delivered to the to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man with the king's delights to honour. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, um, thus shall be done to the man whom, who, with whom the king delights. Wow. Hey, isn't that great? thing is that so much of us that have become Christians and are called to the Lord, that, that, that's us. And um, I don't mind admitting it. Um, we're like that. We, we want to be honoured. You know, we want to be recognised. Um, but we've got to understand that the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. Jesus said, I've come to, that you may have life and have it to the full. But the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. So a lot of times he's so sneaky, he doesn't come in and, you know, he's not waiting in the bushes with, a, you know, with an AK-47 or with a spear or, or even with a poison dart or something to get us in the mix. He's... he's very subtle and very sneaky and for he himself lucifer he fell because of pride and so pride and selfishness and where we want to be the number one we want it to be our name you know and even when we've got a call of god on our life and even when we're building a church and even when we're involved in the ministry team oh i was up there today (laughs) you should have seen me couldn't play for nuts, but man, my jeans look good and my new shoes. Did you see them? Oh, yeah, I know you noticed them. And, uh, and when I was worshipping, I had to turn around and look at the board to worship. And oh, yes, I've been going to the gym. And we get caught up in this sort of stuff. You may, okay, anyone who's laughing has been caught up in it. You've done it. You've done it before. Look at Andrew. He's bending over. He's all in good heart, man. And, and, and so we do because with us we we want identity we want to know that our life is worth something we want to know that that we have value and the thing is is that the devil gets hold of that and he is a thief and he wants to steal our inheritance from that so there's a bit of an open door there there's maybe even a weakness there in our life that we want to be wanted we want to be loved we want to be significant, so he comes in and we get a little bit off the track. And pride steps in and he starts to d- draw us away from God. And then sometimes it's, it becomes my ministry, my preaching, my gift, my church, my building. Look how significant we are in the city. Look how many people are drawn to my church. Look how many people are drawn to me for my counselling, for my wisdom. I've got the answer, you know. And sometimes then we feel that, you know, when we, when, when we walk through the, you know, the gates of heaven, we're waiting for the Lord to say, well done, good and faithful servant. We'll go, that was me. Did you guys hear that? That was me, good and faithful servant. I feel sorry for... Scott today trying to follow putting the scriptures up because I'm all over the place like a 
like a youth party in full swing. But when we stand before the Lord in uh, Matthew 7, 22, it says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. And that word knew is talking about like an intimate relationship. It's like it talks about in the Garden of Eden, where there was Adam and Eve, and it said, and Adam knew his wife Eve, and she bore a son. It's talking about that close, intimate relationship, and the Lord said, I didn't have that close, intimate relationship with you. You were out doing your thing. You were building your name. You were out drawing people to yourself and making making disciples and creating an income and building a business which you call church. Okay, I'm not picking on anyone today. In, in a way, I'm telling my life story and um, how, in a lot of ways, it was for me. I am exaggerating on some things because I really wasn't that bad. I was like that far away from it, but I wasn't that bad. And the thing is, is that we live our life like that because we want... I want my father to be proud of me. I want to stand before my father and for him to say, well done and good and faithful servant. But I want it for the right reasons. I don't want it to, to, to be, for that part to be sort of ministering to the hurt and the brokenness that I've still got. Because sometimes that's why we're looking for that validation is because we don't feel validated. We feel less. And it says in Matthew 6, 1-2, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do your charitable deeds, don't make a, a sound of a trumpet, before, uh, before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that you may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, you have your reward. That is your reward. We've taken the glory. That is our reward. And again, in Matthew 6, 5, it says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. When we were here 30 years ago, 33, 34 years ago, for a period of four or five years, we worshipped in this place. Our daughter was born, and she was born blind. And a lot of you know that, Christine. And... Um, over the years, we've had so many people that, oh, brother, I want to pray for your daughter. They wanted to be the one that healed the blind girl. They wanted to be the one. It, it, and um, so we got to the stage, and I know that there's people here like this that you've done the same with situations in your family. You've drawn back sometimes because you think, you don't really care for me. You're just a show pony. You're just trying to make your name whereas Jesus 
loves. And we feel the love of Jesus. Though sometimes in situations where we've been involved and where Christians have been involved, it's been more for someone else's glory and we've just been a commodity that's been traded. And I feel that there's so many people in churches and outside of churches now, there's more people outside of church that were once in church, isn't there, Pete? And you're after them. You're hot on their tail, mate. And for good reason. Because they have been disappointed. They've been felt like they've been used and traded like a commodity and like a, just like a material or a resource to build something. And, and some people have served on committees and they've served on, in working bees and they've served on church rosters. And it's been made like it was a duty and, and you've done it as a duty. And then you got burnt out and no one cares. Jill and I have planted three or four churches um, and about 10 years ago now it would be I, uh, I resigned Westside Christian Church where some of you guys used to fellowship and it was a great church we had a good time but I couldn't go any further because I, I ran out of road I didn't run out of my love for Jesus. I just didn't know what to do next. And people that I went to for advice and to mentor, it's like all they wanted to do was plunder the congregation. And I became disheartened and I knew that I needed to, to make a change, otherwise I would just burn out. And so I resigned. There's stuff that needs to change. The stuff that needs to change in the church. Um, but the Bible tells us if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, James 4.10, he will lift us up in due time. Something happened to me about eight years ago. Um, I only know bits and pieces of it. And I just ask you to take it at face value. I'll just tell you what I experienced and what happened. Um, but I was asleep in bed, as I often do. And um, I, felt like, I felt like I was struck by lightning in my neck, both sides of my neck. It was, I could, it, I was like, Whoa! and it threw me backwards and I landed on my back. And I remember that part. The next part I remember, I was in this darkness, just dark everywhere I couldn't feel I didn't feel like I was standing up it was felt like you know when it's in your mind when you're dreaming but I knew a hundred percent that I was not dreaming and and I thought I'm dead I've just died and I believe I probably did and I was just there and my mind was just like nothing was going through it except I'm just in this darkness and I don't remember any more of that section. The next section I remember, I was just in this blinding white light and it was amazing. <laughs> and it was terrifying. I could feel the presence of the Lord 
and I could feel there was like other presence there, like it wasn't just wasn't just the Lord. And but in my heart, I imagined how I could imagine how Peter felt that day on the boat when the Lord said to him, "Throw your net over the other side." Got my hanky out to get a towel from the toilet, but they hand one. And um, when 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 Peter threw the net in, he pulled it up, and he had a revelation of the lordship of Jesus. And Peter bowed down before him. He said, "Depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man." And when when I stood there in that light, um, I thought oh, I knew I was standing before the Lord, and in your mind, you're tempted to think of all the great things you've done. We've done this. We've done that. And I've done that for so many years. And we've done this. We've done that. I wasn't game to even consider them. Because at the same time, you remember your sin. And it is so true. Um, that scripture in the Bible in Isaiah 64 verse 6 it says we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags we all fade like a leaf with our iniquities and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away so I just stood there and um, with nothing to say I really understand what it says in the Bible where it says at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and it's not that everyone's going to come in and oh, Jesus, you're the Lord. It's like every knee will bow. You won't be forced to do it, but you will just do it because it will be the absolute truth and there's nothing more to say except Jesus, you're the Lord. And so I, I stood there and all I could do was I lifted my hands and turned them up towards the Lord. And I just said, Hallelujah. And I found out later that one of the meanings of hallelujah is it's like the angels around the throne constantly singing hallelujah, hallelujah. That it's a total surrender to God. And I was totally in his hands. I just said, I didn't know what was going to happen next. And the next thing I know, I can't remember anything after that at that stage. I wake up in bed next to, next to Jill. <laughs> I turn the light on. I didn't turn that light off for a little while and I couldn't feel my pulse. I thought, I'm still dead. And I got up and I went into the ensuite and I looked in and I thought, I, I, I can tell you I felt different from that point, but mostly on the inside. And I looked in the mirror and I thought, oh, I look the same. And I know there's my pulse, I'm alive. And, um, but God just started doing stuff. And it, it, it's like whatever happened there, um, it's in my heart it's in my spirit but I can't put it in words I can't say but I know I'm different and I never preached for the next seven and a half years um, I just people would say hey will you come and share and I go oh, I've got nothing to say I've got nothing to say I, I had to have a whole paradigm shift from where I was um, I had to I want to go back. 
I want to go back to that place. And then we, and we will. We'll all be there. But it depends what happens, you know. It depends if Jesus is our Lord and Saviour. What happens there? Um, but I know that one thing that we've done, uh, maybe as Christians and of church, is we've lost sight of eternity. We've lost sight of forever and ever. You know, we've lost sight of that. We've become so focused on the here and now. The prosperity, you know, the healing, the house, the car, the reputation, the ministry, my job, my career, my family. God bless this. God bless that. God do that. And we become so focused on our world that we've forgotten about a lot of times the world of the people around us and our hearts have become hardened. And even when God is trying to do stuff in us because we've hardened to his moving and hardened to the Holy Spirit, sometimes when it's like, it's like rain on a hard ground, and sorry, I'm just going off the notes there a little bit. There's no slides for this bit. But as we go, our hearts become hardened and we become um, almost like a law unto ourselves and, and God's still trying to get in his still knocking and saying these people still matter to me you matter to me I care about you and in Proverbs I think it's Proverbs 13 24 it says there is much wealth in the fallow ground of the poor and if you a little bit familiar with farming fallow ground is ground that hasn't been worked it hasn't been plowed it's let lie there and ground that hasn't been worked or plowed or that it becomes hard on the surface. We become hard on the surface. And even when it rains, the rain washes off. My fruit trees look like they weren't gonna, weren't gonna fruit this year. And I was concerned about it because the soil wasn't real good. And even when I'd, I'd water them, I'd dig down a bit, it'd be dry underneath. And so I had to work that soil. I, had, I went around all of them with a crowbar, breaking the soil, breaking down, and then I put dynamic lifter in and the neighbors loved it and then I dug it in and I watered them but sometimes we become hard like that we've become hardened in our Christian experience through disappointments through hurts through whatever else is going on and even when there's the reign of the spirit there and God's trying to get into our heart it goes as far as our head and then it washes off and I know that God has been plowing the ground He's been plowing you. There's some people who have been through some pretty, some tough stuff. You've been through some disappointments. And sometimes you feel like, God, where are you? Why should this be happening? But, you know, God does not turn away a broken and a contrite heart. And, you know, it's through the testings of our, and trials that our faith is built. You know, it's in the midst of a storm and in the midst of brokenness when we have lost everything that that we've been holding on to when we finally decide just to hold on to Jesus, that we find life. You know, we can have all these other props and we can have everything else. Because it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, not of works, not of, of anything that we've done. It's simply because he loves us. You know, that is part of one of the things that God put in my heart that night. 
You know, I was, I, I was trying to be someone. I wanted to be successful. I wanted my father to be proud of me. And I didn't have all these ill intentions that it was just about me, that I was building my kingdom. I seriously was, was trying to do the best I can to build God's kingdom. But I was getting in the way. Because I still had a need for this brokenness in me to be healed. I still had a need for, for God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I still had a need for that. But then I, I remember Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. I love this verse. It says, for this reason, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I bow my knee to the Father. I'm part of his family now. I'm named in his family. You know, it's amazing that when Jesus was being baptized by John, the father didn't say, this is my great warrior Jesus. He is the head of the armies in heaven. I want you to listen to him because he is really smart. He didn't. He said, this is my beloved son. And when Jesus spoke to God, he didn't say, oh, great, mighty, some name. He said, Father. And when he pleads with us, he to the Father, he says, Father, forgive him. Father, forgive him. And it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son because we're his family. Heaven is about family. The future is about family. It's about being with him because he wants us. And the most significant thing that I remember from that night is I felt in my heart the Lord was saying, I know you. You're mine. Jesus said, come to me, all who are heavily laden, and I'll give you rest. And I know that there's a lot of people here today that have been through a lot of stuff. Um, but I also know that that God just wants to pour out his love. How can we love someone else if we don't already know that Jesus loved us? We love because he first loved us. We've survived and we are coming now into a new harvest, into a new period. And the Holy Spirit's blowing like a wind behind a fire. And as a, there's a fire that's raging in places, but as the fire rages and the and the, and the wind blows on it. You know, for firefighters, one of the biggest enemies is embers that just fly forward and they ignite and ignite and ignite and they ignite dry places. So you've got dry places in your life, but there's embers, that are, there's going to be opportunities come that those embers will catch on fire. And the Holy Spirit is then, is that, it's going to, they, they're going to, join together and cause a fire but there's still going to be that wind of the spirit blowing which is going to blow your little ember into a fire don't quench that little ember that God is starting to drop into your heart because it's going to be a fire and God is doing something in other places and he's doing something he's going to be doing something here it's going to belong to no church it's going to belong to no man it's going to belong to no denomination it's going to belong to Jesus and he's going to be there
and people are going to be falling in love with Jesus because Jesus is the answer. I can, I'm, a, I'm a life coach now, so I work with people with in, um, mental illness and acquired brain injuries, helping them through counselling and mentoring and that getting back into the best they can be. And we can try to do that with Christians, but the best thing is that when you meet Jesus and you give him full control of your life, nothing will stop you. Nothing will stop you. They can threaten to take away your income, your home, your family. You'll just say, take it all. But you can't take Jesus. I've got Jesus. I know who I am. I'd like to tell you more, but I'm already way over time and Peter will cut my pay for this. So, but um, what I'd like to do is just encourage you to, to read your word. Um, this is, oh, I got the digital Bible and I read it, I did it for years. But I've gone back to just sitting down and reading my word. And I love to highlight it. I love to underline it. And I love to just go back over it. And I'm seeing things that I haven't seen. I've been a Christian for nearly 40 years and I've always read my Bible. But the Holy Spirit is just... And I'm looking at it and I'm going, that is so simple. Where, how, how did I mess up? And the Lord's doing a new thing. But when the Lord's doing a new thing, he needs new wineskins. We can't be the old, stiff, leathery wineskins. We can't adhere to the way that it was done. We have to open our heart and say, Lord, anything, anywhere, anytime. But I just want you. Because the reward is going to be so worth it.